0: Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant-Crispin, and this is Episode 9. One of the things many people say when they hear that I'm a foster parent is, I couldn't imagine getting attached to a child and then having to give them back. While I can appreciate that people are just expressing their honest feelings, the truth is that sentiment shows a total lack of understanding about the main point of foster care, which is precisely to love a child to the point of getting attached and then giving them back to their parents. Reunification is the first goal of foster care. When a child is removed from their parents, usually the plan is to provide a safe and loving and nurturing home for them while their parents do the hard work of getting to a place where they can safely parent their children again. It's messy, it's an emotional roller coaster, and it's not always possible. Just over half of children in foster care will be reunified, and the rest will be raised by relatives, adopted by foster parents, or remain in foster care until they age out. One thing I've learned over the years is that foster parents can play a crucial role in supporting reunification, and in today's podcast, I'm speaking with a fellow foster parent named Lauren who did just that. The focus of today's episode is how foster parents can be intentional and proactive in supporting the parents of the children in their care, championing their efforts to get their children back. Let me be very clear though, before we launch into this conversation, this is often the hardest part of foster parenting. The emotional toll is high and the grief of foster family experiences after reunification is real. I'm grateful that Lauren shared from her experiences with me And I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So I always like to start out by asking the same question, just as a good starting point, since this is a podcast that focuses on, you know, the wide scope of people involved in foster care. And the question I have is, when did your life first intersect with the foster care system?
1: Um, well, the obvious answer, I think, would be when we became foster parents, um, but I think before even before that, um, there was just this desire, and it, it, I, I kind of my I remember um, I was living in Dallas at the time, many many years ago, and um, I was at church one Sunday morning, and I don't even remember what the sermon was about, but I remember this little snippet that my pastor shared with us um, about just the foster care system and the orphan crisis and things like that, and he said something like if every church in Texas would agree to support one foster child, whether that be, you know, find them a home, um, support them emotionally, financially, whatever it may be, then there would like all foster kids would be supported. If there would be no more foster care crisis or there'd be no more need for all these new foster homes. and." that just hit me like a ton of bricks at the time. I was young and unmarried and um, I just remember just kind of gaining this desire to really learn and grow and really educate myself um, after that. And so I kind of um, had this journey of just this insatiable desire to learn and just did all this research and um, it just kind of led to my heart changing or my heart you know, growing mm-hmm. and when my husband and I were on the same page about Fostering, we jumped right on in.
0: I love it. So, I want to dig into that a little bit because you, like me, you got the vision for this as a single woman. Yes. And then you, at some point in time, met Mr. Wonderful and the two of you decided to make life together. Did you discuss foster parenting prior to marriage?
1: We didn't discuss foster parenting specifically. Like, we did not make a decision, hey, we're going to be foster parents one day, mm-hmm. you know, before we got married or even. When we were newly married, we discussed um, our heart for the orphan mm-hmm. a lot prior to marriage, and you know, early on in our marriage. And I always thought um, we would either adopt. I mean, I, I knew one day down the road that we would somehow engage. I didn't right. know exactly what that looked like. And honestly, my husband was the one that that kind of pushed us to start this journey you know a couple of years ago when we did mm. and i wasn't fully ready for it for it yet i don't think i mm. had young children i had two year old twins and i just mm. did not feel like i had the capacity i didn't feel like i had the emotional capacity or the physical capacity
0: yeah
1: um and we really went on like almost like a 6 month journey of trying to figure out if this was the right time for us to do this if this if if this was you know, the right thing for our family right now. And it took the Lord really changing my heart to to get us there. And yeah. once I, I, I told my husband, I said, hey, I will go to that informational meeting and we will go from there. Yeah. And so we went, of course, you know how this is going to end. I left in tears right. feeling <laughs> like there's nothing else that we need to be doing right now. But right. This. this is your nothing. life.
0: You're like, yes. okay, this is our, our life now.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I tell
0: people... I think everyone has a different journey that w- gets them to that point, but I do you have to take time to really plan and think through. And my word, two-year-old twins. I would probably tell anybody <laughs> unless like the Lord himself comes down from heaven and stands in front of you and says, "Now is the time." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it is. But um it is hard, but um wow. Well, okay, so you got you got to that point where the two of you were 100% on board and in and then what happened?
1: So then we just went through the training and got licensed. I mean, really, that first that first meeting that we went to was um, just the, really the first training meeting. Mm-hmm. They, they call it the informational meeting, but really, I think it's the way that they just kind of suck you in yeah. and start the training <laughs> right then. But um, so yeah, so from there we just immediately jumped in, got certified and opened up our home
0: in the state of Texas. Do you get licensed for a certain age range or are you licensed for zero to 18 automatically?
1: Um, so we actually, we have relocated. We're in Tennessee now. I'm no longer living in Texas, but, um, in Tennessee, um, we, you do get certified for a certain age range. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I'll, I'll take that back. You're certified for all ages, but you, they ask you, You know what is your preference, and so um, I think every county does it a little bit different. I'm in Knoxville, and in Knox County, um, you can choose like zero to six, I think, is what it it is, or zero to eight, Mm -hmm. and or zero to Mm eighteen, or um, you know, eleven to Mm eighteen. So you kind of have um, your preferences, but I'll just tell you, you get called. For every single age, it does not matter what you have written down. They're going to call you for it, for anyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you get licensed through the state or did you go through an agency?
1: We went through the state. Okay. Same here. It's,
0: you know, for people listening who are interested in foster parenting but aren't yet involved, it's worth noting that every state does it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And in, for example, where I live in Washington, the state of Washington, um, you are licensed for a very specific age, and you decide what that is. So when we first did it, we were 0 to 5. And um, and then we ended up, as you just said, we got a call for an 11-year-old. I think by that time we were licensed for 0 to 10, because I think one of our kids was closer to 10 at that point. And um, we had amended our license, but we ended up taking a child who was 11, and we got in trouble for it and oh, wow. i i said to the person our licensor who kind of well to whom we were in trouble. And she said, you know, you can't take children who are outside of your license. And I said to her, someone from your department called us and asked yeah. us if we had an open bed for an 11-year-old. Wow. And we, we said, we did have an open bed. You know, he had been bouncing for eight days. He had been in a different place every night, mm-hmm. including a shelter for part of that time. Wow. And I was like, you're going to give me a hard time for taking an 11-year-old yes. when we're licensed through age 10 and he's been bouncing and we gave him a home for as long as he needed It in foster care until he was returned home. And she was nice about it and she didn't write us up. She said, I could write you up. This could be a licensing violation. She said, I'm not going to, but you can't do this again. And that was a real learning moment to us because our thinking was, what's the big difference between 10 and 11? Right. You know, in other states, you're always licensed for zero to 18. Right. So it's just important to know exactly what your state does and if you, you know, and just to like know what could get you in trouble yes. outside of your licensing so thing.
1: If you decided to open up your license from zero to 18, would you have to go back and get additional training?
0: We did do that. And no, okay. there was no more training, but you had to do a new home study because okay. for different age ranges, they, sorry, for different age ranges, they have different, um, Oh, restrictions and things like that. So if we had children 11 and older, we had to have any alcohol in our home had to be locked up, oh, not, wow. just, not just on a high shelf, you know, and things like that. So right. <clears throat> um, if you have little ones, if you have wine or whatever, it can just be on a high shelf out of reach. But if they're older, it has to actually be locked up and stuff like that. So that just meant right. like finding a lock, you know, file, a file, bottle, file cabinet yeah. to keep, <laughs> to keep the alcohol. <laughs> we don't even have that much alcohol. That's the irony. I was just like, we don't even have that much, but yeah. we do have a little bit, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, and, you know, having your medications locked right. up in a different right. way, um, just things like that, but really not that much difference. The other thing is kids under six, can share a bedroom, um, in her, like you can have boys and girls sharing a bedroom. If they're older than six, they can only share a bedroom with other people of the same gender. And then I feel like we had to show that the teenager that we have who moved in with us, I feel like we had to show she had her own room. So they were like, they wanted to see where she would be sleeping and that sort of thing. So, yeah, but that could also just be because she was, you know, we had other kids, so who knows? But anyway, it's, back it to, is. Yeah. it's crazy
1: how different the,
0: the requirements are. It is. It is. And it's really important to know those requirements because they give you a booklet and then they hold you responsible for everything in it. And if mm-hmm. you've missed something, for example, I also had the licensor come one day for a check-in visit and she saw this little walker that we had and it had wheels on it. Um, and apparently here, and I don't know if this is national, but you're not allowed to have a walker. That has wheels on it. Oh, Even wow. if there's no place for that walker to go in terms of the staircase stairs, or right. whatever, you're not allowed to. And so I didn't, I missed that part of the
1: licensing. Yes. Wow. So
0: we just pulled the little wheels off and then she just had to stay in one spot.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness.
0: Anyway. Um, okay, so you've got you got a child placed with you. And one of the things that I really want to talk with, I'm sure there's so many things you could share, but one of the things I really wanted to dig into with you today is this idea of supporting reunification. Because um, as foster parents, you know, the more you're in this, you begin to meet people and you realize there really are two types of foster parents. There are those who are hoping to adopt out of foster care Mm -hmm. and there are those who understand that Foster parenting is first and foremost about supporting reunification. Right. And unfortunately, um there are a lot of foster parents who do not who honestly are not in support of reunification from day 1 and they view that child's parents in some ways as their That's adversary, the, enemy. the right. enemy. Yeah. Right. And um you know, full disclosure, when I first got into foster parenting, I talked a good talk, but as soon as our first kids were placed with us, my heart was that Mm -hmm. I really hoped to adopt the children.
1: Of course. My actions- You fall in love with them. You fall in love with
0: them. If you're doing your
1: job the right way, then of course you do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And knowing what I knew about their history, knowing what I knew about the things that had happened to them, I just couldn't imagine a scenario where reunification would be a good thing for them. Right. Years, now I'm, I'm six years later now, and I can tell you, um, I have done a 180 in terms of my starting position as a foster parent. We've had a lot of children come and go. We've had some who reunified where it was a good thing. We've had some who reunified where it was decidedly not a bad thing and more mm-hmm. abuse took place and they're back in foster care. Um, and we've had some who never reunified and who were adopted either by us or by other people. So I've seen the whole thing, and and this has been a journey for me, but I really want to dig into this with you today because sure. it's, it's a... Um, it's something that we all have to do. And and I'll just say again, and I, we might come back to this, but even though my heart wasn't in it, my actions were, and right. I did everything I could to support that reunification. Right. Your heart I, followed your my actions. heart followed eventually. Yes. So, um, tell me about your experience with that.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I kind of resonate with what you said when we, when we first started this. Um, I knew, and, and I said, and I believed this foster care, the goal of foster care is reunification. Of course, we want to, this child to be reunified with their family. That is a win most of the time. Yeah. Um, but again, my heart, the second that little baby came to our home, I just wanted to protect her, yeah. if you know what I mean. And so um, what changed everything for me was meeting her mother. Mm -hmm. and humanizing her yes because prior to that what there was maybe a few weeks before I met her and you hear all the horrible things that have happened and you know how could this person do this to the sweet little child and you I just felt like mother bear wanting to protect her and um the second I met her mom I just I don't this this compassion came over me and Mm -hmm. Um, I, she became a human to me yeah. and not some ethereal, horrible, abusive person, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yes. And so um, that's kind of what changed everything for me was actually just meeting her and and being nice to her. And um, what's really interesting is it was a long journey. This, this is our first placement. It was a long journey um, with her and she had multiple children that, that she did not have custody of. And she, you know, her, um, th- this baby came into foster care and the caseworker, um, the grandmother, um, the, the the lawyers, everyone involved was just from day one certain there's absolutely no way this child is being reunified with her mother. Mm-hmm. She's not done it mm-hmm. X amount of times before. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, and... I just, I just didn't believe that. I yeah. knew that she could do it. I knew that she could, and so we had several times where I met her at meetings. Or, um, I mean, I'll never forget the first time I met her. It's scary, mm-hmm. and it can be awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not always this beautiful thing, right? But sometimes you just have to push through the hard to to get to the means to to get to the end. So, um, there's. I think the big turning point in that case with her, um, we were in court one day and, um, I did not have the child with me. I just went, uh, she was not required to be there. So, um, I was there without the baby and the judge made a decision that the mother did not like and was really upset by and kind of stormed out of court, really just visibly very upset and it's just hard to watch that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. going to court is always so emotional for me. It's just yeah. very difficult yeah. um, to watch just the hurt that's going on all around you. Yeah. So I was walking out to my car after it was over, just, you know, I looked out of the corner of my eye and I saw her mom like sitting in the corner of the courthouse, um, just weeping. Yeah. And I really wanted to get in my car and leave. Mm-hmm. I really, 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 really wanted to get in my car and leave, but I really felt a leading to go and engage with her. Yeah, And so I did. Um, I, ran, I went over to her and this was really the first time that we had any contact without other people present, without mm-hmm. the caseworkers or mm-hmm. the GAL or whomever present. Um, and I think she was really surprised that I... You know, was coming over to speak with her, and I just walked over to her, and I just gave her the biggest hug.
0: Hmm.
1: I just told her, "You can do this. Yeah. You can do this. Um, Don't do it for anybody but yourself. You know, you've got to. Do, yes. You've got to do this for you. You're the only person that can change yourself. Yeah. You can't change what the judge says. You can't change what the caseworker's saying. You can't change anything." But yourself, And yeah. if you work on yourself and you change yourself, then everything will probably fall into place for you. So I just spoke with her and encouraged her for a few minutes. And, and honestly, I look back and like, I just, I was nervous. Sure. I was anxious and I don't even remember exactly what I said. I just feel like the Lord was speaking through me. Yeah. Um, but I got back in my car and left. And, you know, since then, this baby has, was reunified with her mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, against everybody's like, nobody thought it could happen. No, I can't stress that enough. Nobody thought it would happen. And Mm. she's now back with her mom. Her mom got sober and worked her plan and did everything that she could in her power to prove to everybody that she could do it Uh, and that she loved her child. And so she and I have developed a sweet little friendship and we keep in touch. And she tells me now that um, that was a turning point for her. Mm -hmm. That was the first time some, someone believed in her is what she says. It was the first time someone believed in her, told her that she could do it. Yeah. Um, and not that I, I mean, I'm not trying to say like, I changed everything, right. But I think it was a huge learning point for me in helping me understand that these, birth families are real people that just are struggling. And there's, they're not most of the time, this is not a blanket statement, but a lot of the times they're not inherently these just awful people that ch- go out and choose to hurt and harm their children. They're just mm-hmm. stuck and they don't know any better. And yeah. um, they need someone to help them instead of telling them how horrible they are. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, Yeah. My experience has been very similar to yours several times, what you're describing. And I think, you know, there are a few things that I want people to really get. And one of them is, as you said, there isn't one narrative. So everyone listening, Yeah. yeah, everyone listening can say, oh, but that wasn't our experience. And I've heard from people when I've done videos where I have endorsed and encouraged foster parents to be, you know, available to their kids' parents and things like that. I've heard from people who tell me their horror stories. I know
1: they exist. Yes. It is not always <clears throat> the best interest of the child to reunify with her. Pain right.
0: Pain right. It's yeah. not. But I would say in my experience and in talking to people and the more I've kind of sat on panels and talked with social work, just, you know, across the board. Um, I think this is, this needs to be our starting place as foster Absolutely. parents. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day too, it's worth noting, foster parents are not the deciding factor no. in reunification <laughs> one way or the other. We can't prevent it from happening and we can't make it happen. No. But I think what what I want to get to and, and talk about a little bit is that, In training, we were not encouraged to really think about supporting the parents of our kids. We were not, like, equipped. You know, they would say, you have to help with reunification. And what they meant by that is the child has to be available for visits. Yes. You should do something like send a journal back and forth, whatever. There are the minimum kind of actions that a foster parent
1: can take to, quote, support reunification. Of course. That's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) This is, this is, this is building a relationship. Exactly. This is being a resource and building a relationship and it looks different and it's not always a possibility. I mean, I want to say that too. Not every case is it possible to do that. Right.
0: Right. And we have, um, we have also had a child's parent who we were trying to build a relationship with file an allegation of abuse against us. So I know that it can go south and, you know, um, and yet we are still doing it. We're still doing it, not just still foster parenting, but still fighting for relationships with the family members. So, so, you know, one of the things that I've noticed over the years from talking with different moms whose kids have been in our care is the level of shame that they carry Yes. for their kids being in foster care is profound. And if you've ever experienced deep and profound shame, you know that it kind of, it, it, it's like, a, um, it's like a, a cancer that eats away mm-hmm. at pretty much every corner of your life. It consumes you. It does. And it, it affects the decisions that you make and it really affects the hope that you have for your life. Um, I was talking with Brian post a couple weeks ago in one of my interviews and he, he really emphasized it's never too late to hope. It's never too late to love. And I feel like in your experience with this particular mom, she had lost other kids. I don't know if she got all of her kids back. Um, did she get all her
1: kids? She back? did not. That's no. a, it's a separate case. Yeah. And um, we have had that yeah. experience
0: as well where, um, you know, a woman has multiple children multiple cases all in foster yes. care and yes. yet each child is its own is his or her own separate case mm-hmm. and things may not work out with maybe the older children but it might with a younger child yes. um and it it speaks to that whole thing of never too late i mean if a ma and people struggle with this. They're like, wow, you know, why does she get so much time when she's already (laughs) lost so many kids? But I think it really speaks to that idea that do we believe that people can change? Of course. Yes. Yeah. So what were, can you talk about over the course of your time, what were some of the things that you did, um, that built bridges and kind of made it possible because as I've, I've said this before too, I said this actually in a flourishing foster parent call, um, with one of the therapists that I interviewed and you know that I really believe it's the onus is on foster parents, not yes. on the, the, oh, yes, you know, the mother. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Um, I don't know that I, you know, am an expert in this at all, but I can share kind of some things that that we have done. So, um, we had, uh, we had that first little placement, that little baby girl who reunified with her mom. And then the day that she left, we were placed with another infant, um, who has since been adopted by us. Okay. So, um, recently, very recently she mm-hmm. was adopted. So we currently don't have any, um, foster kids in our home right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So i had got these two moms that I've built these relationships with and, um, they are, they, the relationships look very different. Mm -hmm. And, um, I learned the second time around that it doesn't always go the way it did the first time around. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I really think I, I I would say that I have, I have good relationships with both of them and that they both, um, we there's a mutual love and respect for each other in both of those relationships. So Mm -hmm. I would, um, you know, really it was simple. I think just being kind to them Mm -hmm. and as, as crazy as that sounds, not, um, being short with them, Mm -hmm. asking them questions about their life and themselves and showing interest in, in who they are and, Mm -hmm. um, and not, you know, not trying to, um, keep the kids from seeing them or, um, just making sure that the child is very available to them and, um, you know, coming to visits prepared with um, whatever that they might need, but also not just dropping off the kid and leaving, but, you know, chatting it up with the mom for a minute, just to build that connection. And, um, you know, instead of one thing that we did um that i think meant so much was um one of our babies was having some gi issues and so we changed her formula and um you know the pediatrician was very involved in that conversation but i went to the mom and said Hey, um, she's struggling in this area. Would it be okay with you if I changed her formula Mm -hmm. instead of going to the mom and saying, yeah, we changed her formula. So here's the new one. And just letting the mom still be the mom while she is is still the mom. Yes.
0: It's, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, I heard from a woman, um, once who was speaking at a conference I went to and, and to be honest with you, when I first heard her speak, I was really put off by a lot of what she said, but I l- had to listen to why am I so put off by this and right. really dig into it. So, I mean, I guess I also want to communicate, I don't expect any foster parent to find this easy or to think this is like, fun. oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not fun. It's hard. It's, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard yes. and very messy. We it's all have nice. a, a nature that can make us prone to preservation and selfishness, you yes, know, and all of that. Absolutely. But um but she said, why do foster parents refer to my child as or refer to me as bio mom? She mm-hmm. said, I'm not bio mom. I am that child's mom and you're yes. the foster parent. You're the foster caregiver. You know, I'm her mom, you're the caregiver. And I was like that was hard to hear. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand from her perspective. And and I'll also say this there there are many different kinds of mothers out there who have children in foster care. Some of them are fighting with everything they have. And some of them completely check out and just let yeah, the system run its They're course. not around at all. We've had both. Yeah, absolutely. We've had both, yep. And so I've been really cognizant that it's so important for foster parents to do everything they can to make gestures all along the way that show that child's parent that they are still their mom yes and so I love what you just shared and and um, same same with you know we had a very similar experience we had a baby who's um, who was very constipated a lot and we we under the pediatrician's guidance, came up with a diet for her. And so I just wrote a note in the book that went back and forth to visits and just said, you know, she's been struggling with constipation. When you bring food for the visits, you know, please steer clear. You know, the doctor recommends that we steer clear of this, but that right. we load up on this. And so I just left it up to her to do what, you know. Right. And um, respect, like showing respect yes. is so huge to someone who is in
1: the pit you know, absolutely. And it's hard because this child isn't in foster care for no reason at all. Exactly. You know, there's a, there's a reason they're in, in foster care and yeah. to show respect to someone that might have harmed this little, or I don't know, however old they are child yeah. that you have now grown to love and care for, you get really protective of. It takes a lot of dying to yourself to do that.
0: It really does. It really does. Yeah, so some of the practical things, um, maybe I'll say a few things, and you might think of other things too. Some of the practical things that we've done that we do every single time, um, unless we have been told, there has been two times that we've been told to have no contact. Um, Mm For one, In one of the cases, the child was already legally free. Okay. And so in that case, it was very different. Reunification was not an option, and the child was not interested at all in contact with a very abusive parent. So Mm. this, it's not always the case, but when this is the case, um, at the very, you know, starting with showing up to visits and meeting the mom, um, we were told by one of our, one of the moms that we've been engaged with that that was for her a huge thing because as much as a foster parent might fear, (laughs) fear a mom. The mom fears the foster parent Absolutely. so much more.
1: Well, like you said, they're carrying so much shame and they are wondering, what do they think about me? They must think I'm horrible, you know? Yes. Yeah. You hold all the power as the foster parent.
0: Yes. You have their child. I yes. Mean, and as a, now that I have my own children, the thought of someone else raising them right. literally makes me crazy. Yes. And, and so, I mean... You know, as you said, yes, it's it's because of actions of the mom or perhaps the dad, but um, it's still their child. And so, you know, just really trying to see how hard this has to be for them and how long their process is and how much is required of them mm-hmm. um, to get them back. Um, they need cheerleaders all along the way. And so, um, so showing up, meeting them, and saying something like, I wanted you to know who's taking care of your kids for you during this time. And so if you have any questions for me, you know, and I've written, like, we have a dog named Samson and a cat named Maya and, you know, the cat has one eye and, you know, we always just like, we'll talk about things that'll kind of, and I'm like, I want to give her a picture, yes, you know, of how things are. And, and, um, you know, my husband, I might share some details. Now, again, you have to be, wise. And so you don't want to, you know, say we live in this neighborhood and the kids go to this school or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, maybe <laughs> over time you can share those details as you build a rapport, but, um, but, you know, giving them a picture and then secondly, giving them pictures. Like, you know, I take pictures and I've set up a Google voice account so that I only use that for connecting with the moms of the kids we have in care. And, um, I, I, text pictures and Mm -hmm. I, you know, in maybe once or twice a week, sometimes every day I'll send a picture depending on where they're at in their process and how engaged they are, um, with the kids. Yeah.
1: I think the pictures thing is huge. That, that has been huge for, um, the two moms that I have a relationship with. And even now one of, um, we've adopted, you know, our second placement and we still keep in contact with her mom and I still send her pictures and they just mean the world to her. And yes. even little videos, especially since we had, um, both of these placements were babies. We got the, we had them for all of their big milestones, Yes, learning to walk, learning to talk, you know, yes. all those kinds of things crawling. And so I would, you know, record a little short video and send it to them so they could see, or, um, even yes. say like, show mommy what your new trick is or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I just think it meant they lived on, they just hung on every single photo I could, I could send.
0: Yeah. So true. So true. And we had a child with us. I would say this is the one child we had where from the, from the start, I really felt like this child did not belong in foster care. I didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about the circumstances um, of why she was in care And you don't always, sometimes you learn more and sometimes you don't. And in this case, we really didn't know anything, but she was having regular visits with her mom. And one of them was um, um, shortly after she came to us. And so, you know, they offer to have somebody pick her up. You can have a visit supervisor pick up the child, but I said, no, I'd like to bring her and I, you know, I'd like to introduce myself. And so we met in a parking lot of a store not too far from our house and, Um, when we showed up and this child was about four or five, so she was talking and, you know, knew she was going to see her mom. When we showed up, I got out and I, I just smiled and said, hi, you know, I'm Christy. And I thought you would want to know, um, who has your, who she's staying with. And, you know, and we just chit chatted for a few minutes and it's always awkward, It's always awkward, but the foster parent needs to set the tone of friendliness and acceptance and seeing them with respect. And, you know, I said to this woman, you know, I want to tell you something, and I I hope this doesn't sound weird, but I want to tell you that I've seen a lot of kids come and go in our home, and I'm going to tell you right now, you are a good mom. I said, I don't know. I don't know anything about the circumstances. Obviously, you're going through something. But I want you to know that I can tell that you are a great mom. And she just lost it. Yeah, and absolutely. And I said to her, whatever's going on in your life and whatever is causing you know your daughter to be in care right now, do whatever it is that you need to do. I said, get her back. This is going to be something in your rearview mirror. You'll remember it at times, and it will be hard to remember it, but um, you're gonna get her back. I said, but I I said to her, I've seen so many moms disappear out of discouragement Mm -hmm. and feeling Mm -hmm. like it's just too hard. I said, your daughter loves you, she is happy, she's well-adjusted, she is, you know, I mean, this was like weird, but I was like, she clearly has, you've been taking care of her teeth, she's been eating well, she's healthy, and she's got a great vocabulary. She's not delayed. You know, because a lot of times kids will come, and they're like five or six, and they don't know letters. They don't know numbers. Of course, they're still right. in diapers. I mean, there are those kids, and we've had those kids. I said to her, this child is, and I just said, whatever it is you need to do, because you're clearly a great mom. She loves you. She wants to be there. And those And that opened the door
1: for an actual
0: friendship between me yes. and this woman.
1: You know, And that probably meant... Way more to her than you could ever even know.
0: It, I think it did. And we've since, that child is reunified now, and we have since, they've come back to our house for birthday parties. Um, we, I wrote a letter on her behalf when she was trying to get, you know, move the case along. There was a court hearing. And I wrote a letter on her behalf, and it was a pretty strong letter. And mm-hmm. I said, I have been a foster parent for this long. I have seen a lot of kids come and go, and I can tell you, whatever the case you know, and by then I knew more about this right. case. And it wasn't again, I'm, I don't think this child should have been taken into foster care. And that's another, that's a whole other issue. A whole other it's a podcast. whole other issue. I think something <laughs> happened that there are probably moments in every one of our lives as a parent that if it were witnessed by someone who decided to make a phone call, either how you're talking to your kid or, you know, um, whatever it is, I mean, nobody is perfect. And everyone has moments that, you know, I mean, there's a big difference between ongoing abuse and neglect and all of that. But I mean, we all have of our moments right. and she had yeah it sounds like she had been you know treated for some mental illness and she took some other medication she had like a interaction with it that kind of mm-hmm. you know she had kind of a um
1: a reaction a reaction
0: yeah and she had to go to the hospital and the hospital called CPS and that was it and yeah. you know she didn't have a history of drug abuse or alcoholism or anything like that she had to go through a whole <laughs> a whole you know tw- uh, like a whole rehab process And she wasn't on anything. It was, you know, what she had to go through to get her daughter back was so humiliating and so, you know, just so hard as a single mom and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm so proud of her for doing everything she needed to do. They're back together. We're still, you know, we're still in their lives. Um, But those steps early on, you know, again, like you, I'm not the reason that they're that they reunified but I know that it helped to have a cheerleader because our kids, yes. moms and dads, but I mean, for us, it's only ever been moms. They don't have cheerleaders in their corner everywhere no. they go. They've got folks who are believing that they're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Mostly in their own families. Yes, a lot absolutely. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a big proponent of it. Um, and then, um, yeah, pictures and then treating them like human beings, inviting their input, you know, all of that.
1: It sounds so simple when you say it, but it's, it's not always easy to do.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's not. And then you might have, you might have times later where you're kind of like, wow, I would have done that real differently. (laughs) Absolutely. You're going to mess
1: up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, So your child reunified and talk a little bit about what that was like for you when she went home. Yeah.
1: So we knew it was coming and we, we, um, we were very excited and happy and pushed for it as much as we could as a foster parent, because we felt like it was the best thing for her to be with her family. Um, but still you bond and you, um, form an attachment to these precious kids. And so it's always hard to say goodbye. Yeah. And you, you worry and you wonder if, um, you know, this is, it, is this the right decision? And, um, sometimes when you're so as a foster parent, you really have no control at right. all. Right. Um, and that can feel, um, that can be anxiety inducing at times, Yes. but we were so excited and so happy for her. Um, but also there was that sadness of losing her. I don't know that I want to say that I lost her because we still keep in touch and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and still have that relationship, but, um, the loss of caring for her, you know, I guess. And so it was hard, it was hard to say goodbye, but it was also met with such joy and happiness that that overpowered the sorrow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you have somebody in your life, for, you know, months, years, whatever. And you have poured out your life for them. You have made them the focus of your your primary concern. Um, And then you get them all ready and you pack them all up and you say goodbye and they leave. And even when you were totally in favor of it, there's just like, you have to adjust. And there's a big, we call it, you know, getting back to being a family of five or you right. know be, getting back to being a family of five or getting back to being getting back getting back to our new normal or something like that. Right. Um, you have your own two children who yes. walked through that with you. They were yes. they were 2 or 3 when the, they were 3. They were 3 when mm-hmm. the baby came. How old were they when the baby left?
1: They were 3 when the baby left. Okay.
0: So they but how did it affect them?
1: Yeah. So um they're so young. It was really hard to prepare them for what was about to happen when we opened up our home to foster care and they did not get it at all. Yeah. Um, and, and they're, they probably still don't really, they're still so little, but we talked about it with them as, as simple in as simple terms as we could for them to understand. But they, um, they always, they thought of her as a sibling. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all, that's mm-hmm. the only way they could relate to what, what was going on. And so yes. it was hard for them. Um, when she left, they didn't understand because not long after she left, we received our next placement of right. another baby that right. was six weeks younger than her. Okay. So in their mind, the same age, but right. it was a different baby that looks right. different. And so, um, it was difficult for them to fully understand what was going on. I don't think they did fully understand what was going on, but we just, you know, shared that we're taking care of her until her mommy's able to take care of her and we love her and she loves you and we're going to have so much fun with her, you know, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, and how
0: did they do? Cause three, two and three, that can be a, a tough age period. Um, yes. how did they, cause we've had, <laughs> we had foster babies when, um, when our kids were that age, some of our kids and, you know, it was challenging because I had one three-year-old daughter at the time who wanted to be another little
1: mommy. Of course. And trying to
0: keep her hands off of these babies (laughs) (laughs) or helping her to be safe. Yeah.
1: Yes. It was, um, it was really hard. They, we got a phone call at like 10 PM for our first little baby. And so they went to bed as a family of four and woke up with a baby in the we home. We have had and that
0: experience as well. Yeah.
1: Yes. They just they their world was rocked. Yeah. They didn't it, they didn't have nine months of me being pregnant to prepare yes. for this little one coming into the home and so it took it took a while for us to work through all of that and they acted out just like any child acts out when they, a new baby comes into the home. But I think maybe, um, it just took a little bit longer because there was no preparation on the front end. Yeah.
0: And I think something worth mentioning too, because a lot of people write to me and ask me, you know, how do you prepare your own kids for bringing foster care, foster children in? And, um, I think it's worth noting it does cost everybody. It yes, does affect absolutely. everyone in the home, and it's part of counting the cost of becoming a foster family is thinking to yourself, weighing up what it's going to cost your children to do this. Absolutely. And, yeah. And as a family, we have come to the, and this is kind of countercultural in this day and age of kind of putting the kids first and not wanting mm-hmm. to do anything to rock their world, really. Um, we, we pretty much rock our kids' world frequently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because we actually believe it's good for them. And we actually yeah, believe absolutely. over time they're going to learn a way of life that is pretty countercultural, yeah. but is, we think, uh, uh, in the end, going to do more for them than kind of making for them sure. the center of our universe. Yeah.
1: Yes, we totally agree. Yeah. I was, um, you know, prior to our getting our first placement, I was just desperate to find some resources to help me maybe a children's book or something that I could read to them yeah. or help me walk through preparing them and I, there are some great resources for maybe older children but yeah. there's nothing for little children that I could find so um I told my husband maybe one day I need to write a children's book you, you do <laughs> need something. to write that book you definitely because need to write that book because there is a lack of resources yeah. out there I will yeah. say that
0: Yeah. There's a new organization and I can't remember what it's called. They just reached out to me and I haven't done a ton of research into them yet, but their whole focus is serving existing children in a home that becomes a foster family. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, I'm going to find it and I'll put it, the link to it in the show notes below. Um, they sent it to me, you know, and I just, I haven't really be able, been able to dig into it yet, which is why I haven't really done anything with it yet. But I will say anybody who's trying to do that, they have my support, you know? Absolutely. So um, yes. Yeah. I can't even remember what it's called right now, but I will put that in the show notes. So if you're listening to the podcast, whatever you're listening to it on, just go to the show notes and I will put this organization in there. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's, there are people thinking about this, but you're so right. There's, there's a whole demographic of people who are deeply affected by foster care that mm-hmm. that do not get thought of that much. They get missed
1: like a little bit. The right. children in the home.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I'll say our, we have now, um, our youngest is four and a half. Our oldest is 16 and two of our kids have already articulated that they do plan to become foster parents wow. someday. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, I have one child who says he's never going to get married, but he's going to adopt two kids. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, <laughs> you have my support, whether you yes. do or whether you don't. But I have to say, I, I feel like that is an indicator to me that we're doing something right. Cause our kids right. don't hate foster care.
1: Yes. You know, yes.
0: they don't hate it. And, um, we've had, like I said, um, the first two children who entered our home will never leave. We adopted them actually the first three. Um, but so they have seen a lot of children come and go and they get, mm-hmm. they get it now. They know I do a channel. Um, one of them would like to be on my YouTube channel uh, and I wow. said to him, you're not going to, cause I wouldn't <laughs> do that to you. Cause people can be very cruel on YouTube. <laughs> um, but you know, people look in our, you know, people can, can wonder, is this good for the kids in your home? And I would say, Most of the time, again, just like everything, there's not one blanket answer to that. But most of the time I would say, if you're teaching your kids a way of life that is generous, hospitable, empathetic, you know, and supporting families in crisis, that's actually a really good thing. It's going to cost you, but it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is Um, great. I had one last question and, and it may be a long question. I don't know, or it may be a short one. Were there any moments in your interactions with the moms of the kids in your care that got real awkward and that you had to work through conflict with them?
1: Um, let me think. Were there awkward moments? Absolutely. There was a lot of awkward moments it is just an awkward thing. It is not natural for you to be caring for someone else's child and, um, figure out how to be in relationship and co-parent with them. It just is not natural. And so, um, there was definitely awkward moments. We didn't, we didn't know what to say or, um, you know, I think sometimes I felt like I was trying to say the right thing and thinking too hard about it. So I, you know, it was like stumbling over words or same with them. They, they didn't feel, um, you know, in, in particular, one of them, her personality is more um, quiet and reserved, and I think she felt um, intimidated, and so a lot of our, re- especially in the beginning, our relationship was um, me, it was like pulling teeth to get her to even respond or talk to me, and um, it was awkward, and it was hard. I don't know that we've had conflict per se, I don't think that I would, there's been a couple of times post, um, reunification where the, um, the mom, um, the mom and I, you know, we're still in communication and, and I'm, told her that I'm a resource for her and and here for her. And there's been a couple of times where she shared some things where I told her, like, I might have to report that. Mm Mm-hmm. Or um, something like that. Yeah. So that's yeah. never a fun conversation.
0: Right. And I know one woman who supported reunification and has remained in her child's life, her former foster child's life. And she did report the child's yeah. mom. And yeah, I, I have. I have. I've yeah. had the report. And they still are in relationship, yeah. which is kind of remarkable in my mind. Yes. yes. Um, and that, yeah, in that particular child, it's, you know, staying involved in their life, you know, has been both supportive to the mom, but also some accountability, I think. Huh, um, absolutely. Yeah, which is a good thing. Um, yeah, we've had we've had one time where um, I deeply offended, um, unintentionally, but it was one of those things where I felt she was handling something in a way that was really actually dangerous to a child. And I told her that, and she got highly offended with me. And I wondered at that time if... That might be the end of our relationship. But I went to her and apologized for hurting her and told her, you know, you are this child's mother, and I respect you for that. Um, You have asked me for my input in the past on... You know, trauma informed parenting, and I I thought that you asking me in the past opened the door for me to be more forthcoming with my opinions. But I see that you know you are are the child's mom, and you get to do things the way that you want to. And I apologize for overstepping.
1: And that's what that's what it's all about. We're we are human. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to do anything perfect. But forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, is such a equalizer. It It is. It diffuses and. Um, It allows you to maintain relationships with people even when you mess up.
0: It's so true. It's so true. And in that case, you know, this is a whole other part of this, but this is going to go too long if we keep going. But (laughs) another part of it is that a lot of the moms whose kids are in our care come from a really hard way of life themselves. They've never seen or or not commonly seen really healthy emotional relationships. So, for example, in that case, um, that woman was so taken aback yeah. by me apologizing to her, um, cause it wasn't her normal way of life. And she's told me, I, you know, she will get into fistfights with people, mm-hmm. um, rather than either of them asking for any kind of right. forgiveness. I mean, that's just so right. foreign to her. And, um, and so, I mean, those, those opportunities to model something different, they go a long yes. way.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. A long, long way. Both of yeah. the, um both of our, of these mothers were in foster care growing up themselves Uh and that, that is not uncommon. uncommon It's not uncommon at all.
0: Not at all. all.
1: Yeah. I mean, you might be the first person in their life to model some of these characteristics and seeking forgiveness or just kindness. And, and it's, you really have such an opportunity with these birth parents that Mm -hmm. it, it can be overwhelming if you really think about it. I mean, it's so, true. it's so true. It's so true. This is not, this doesn't have to be just about caring for a kid. And of course that is the biggest part of this, but yeah. you really get to come alongside an entire family and it is the most life giving. It has changed me in a way that I never thought possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. And you know, not, not only that, but we had a woman who, um, over the course of time that her child was with us and we developed a friendship, I felt comfortable letting her pick her up from our house. Yeah. And, um, the case managers were a little surprised by that, but Mm -hmm. I just said, you know, this is, this is how much I'm in favor of this reunification. I trust this woman to come to our house and, and, and it was great. So one night she brought her daughter home from a visit And it was like bedtime and we were all getting ready to start getting the kids to bed. And this little girl knew the routine at her house. And I invited her mom to stay and get her daughter ready for bed, tuck her in give her her books, you know, read books to her and everything. I said, stay as long as you want. Let's all put the kids to bed together. And it was so good for that little girl to see her mom and me together. Yes. For our kids to see her mom. Our kids understood. She has a mom and our Mm -hmm. kids understood. Her mom is, you know, she's going to go back to her mom at some point. Like that's the plan. So she stayed and she couldn't believe she was crying later. She said, I haven't put her to bed in over a year. Oh, man. And it was just, just like... Got
1: chills. Yeah,
0: it was incredible. And I wasn't planning on it. It just was that she brought her home, and it was like, well, we're getting the kids ready for bed. And I was just like, am I going to now send her away? You know, and again, it's not always possible to do this. I'm not saying everyone should do this. I'm saying in this case, over the course of time, we had built a relationship. She was also with her boyfriend, who we had also gotten to know, and he had been screened, and he was actually her supervisor on her visits like he was able to supervise visits between mm. her and her daughter so it was like we had them both over and then um they um another time they dropped her off it was a sunday afternoon and we were getting we were in the middle of our family meeting which we have every sunday um Um, if you're curious about that, people who are listening, I did a video on it. I I really (laughs) recommend this as a practice. But anyway, that was a little plug for a fostered life. Mm -hmm. Um, She came, brought her home while we were having our family meeting. And this little girl knew this is family meeting. She knew what it was and everything. So we invited mom and boyfriend to stay for family meeting. And they came in and they got to watch this, again, we are not perfect. I will be the first to tell you, there is plenty in my life to criticize, but they got to watch, you know, how we communicate with the kids, how we draw Mm -hmm. out their leadership skills, how we, and then we ended by playing games together. And then, you know, the kids go to bed and they got to be part of all of that. And I just think, you know, there's this modeling, there's this you know, exampling and just saying, come into our lives with us, come into our lives and let's together do this. Jump into the mess with us. (laughs) Jump into it. And it's, you know, there were other times when she was leaving with her daughter or, you know, whatever. And they would have big parenting, you know, she was trying to parent and the daughter was triangulating me and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to leave you guys in the yard. I'm going in the house. I'm going to close the door, close the curtains and you're, you handle it and i am not watching you you know because this was their yes. their time you know yeah that was their thing and so anyway these are just ways to think and the reason i'm so passionate about this and the reason i was so looking forward to talking to you about this is that this is not in my experience the norm for no. how foster parents think no and i think it should be
1: i agree i fully agree and the things you just mentioned are so simple inviting her into your home or you know, letting her deal with conflict with her child and, but they have massive impact. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So,
0: and we had to talk with the case manager and make sure this was all okay. I mean, you know, again, we are part of a system. This is not outside of a system. This is not in a vacuum. We are not flying rogue or flying solo. We are part of a system. We have to honor like court orders and regulations and all of that. But when it's possible for this to happen, we should try to make it happen. And mm-hmm. and I think that it would, I, I really think it would go a long way for helping not only reunification, but like reunification that will last. Yes. You know, building
1: and, up that relationship with that yeah. family so that, and then you have the opportunity to still be a part of their lives when they go home.
0: right. Right. And again this is coming from a woman who has been reported by a child's parents and went through a <laughs> yes. CPS investigation which was also not fun. Yeah. Um we yeah. were obviously cleared and in that case it was just I think a parent who was just really hurting and um needed to kind of do lash out a little bit but um But anyway, I'm going to do another talk on that. I hope to get somebody on who will be willing to discuss what it's like to go through a CPS investigation, but we'll do that in a separate call. Um, I appreciate so much your time today and everything you shared and what you've been doing. And I just wish you all the best in your journey with your three children and any future children who enter your home.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to a Fostered Life podcast. For more information and resources for foster parents, please visit afosteredlife.com where you'll find blog posts, recommended books and resources, YouTube videos, and social media links so you can connect with others on the foster parenting journey. If you're interested in supporting my work at A Fostered Life, please go to afosteredlife.com and click on the tab, Support My Work. That will take you to my Patreon page where you can become a patron. Just $1 a month helps offset the cost of producing these resources and enables me to offer them freely to new and prospective foster parents. And I'm grateful for the support of my patrons. I also give a few perks to my patrons, so head over to Patreon and check it out. If you're a foster parent who could use some additional insight and coaching and community with other foster parents, check out The Flourishing Foster Parent. It's an online community that I've created for foster parents to connect, to hear from professionals and experts in the field of trauma-informed parenting. And it's just been a great community. So if you're a foster parent, you might want to check that out too. Lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate A Fostered Life on iTunes. It would help me out so much. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring about foster care.